and welcome back to Box Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Monica Drapo. How's it going, Monica? Uh, it's going good. <laughs> uh, I found a, a tarantula in my doorway. Inside or outside? Outside, thanks. Oh, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the fine side. You, like, outside is fine. Outside, yeah. <laughs> Inside is problematic. Outside's fine. <laughs> You've been traveling. You're, be- you're back home. You're saying before we started. Yeah, from- <laughs> yeah that's. I'm assuming because I've been gone so long. He just was like, "This, I could move on in." Seems uh, like I won't be disturbed here. That's true. He was there first. You, you maybe, maybe you're invading his home. anyway goofiness aside it's gonna be an interesting show for me i saw on facebook like three weeks ago that someone was running an improv show and i was like we should do a show of a vox pop show about improv and you know what is improv and what's it like to run improv in the era of covid when everybody is online and um you can't really go to a theater or man i guess you could but you, you kind of don't want to sometimes so um or actually maybe maybe you can't i guess it depends on where you are so um i invited somebody and i'm i'm excited to for you to meet um, Monica, this is um, this is my little sister, Cheryl Platts. <laughs> sort of my little sister. It says, <laughs> Hello, big brother. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, for people who are very confused and they notice that Cheryl is very white and I am very black, Cheryl is not my actual little sister, but has been um, my honorary little sister since she was my intern 20 yes. years ago. <laughs> it, was a, it was a long time ago. I'm trying to remember exactly when, but quite quite a while ago. Um, I'm not going to say the year because it'll date both of us. And it's <laughs> it's earlier than you want to think. So we're just going to leave that there. But that five was years ago. so, yes, five <laughs> years ago. That was so welcoming and it showed me the ropes and taught me about fantasy football in which I came second that year. So I like uh, there was there's a lot of there was also job related shit. But yes, you yeah, we did some job things like some. Uh, yes, yeah, some designing stuff. There was a robot dog involved. That's a whole other story. Yeah, we had a robot dog. Um, um, and Monica, Monica is our newest, our newest co-host on Fox Pop. So that's Monica. Hi, Monica. So yeah, so Cheryl was my intern, and then she went on to have a wonderful career. Where unlike me, she didn't lose her mind, so she's still doing UX design work. And I'm, and I maybe I'll go back one day. We'll see. Depends on how academia works out. But um, your hobby, well, actually, it wasn't even your hobby. You were you were in college at the time, but you've been doing acting work and voice acting work and improv work since back then, as I recall. Yes, I, I quit acting twice. And then I stopped quitting because I was bad at quitting it. That, that's basically how that went. I quit once in high school and then I got back to I got to college and then I got back into acting and then I you know, got into the real world. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to give this up because I'm in video game development and, and I'm supposed to give up all other things and worship the video games. Uh, and then I couldn't handle that. And I started auditioning for stuff again. And then after that, I just decided that uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do acting forever if they let me <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, i should i guess i should um monica is um oh you wouldn't say you're an actor but you're a show business person then <laughs> i definitely would not say that i was, I was an actor <laughs> um i was the sort of kid who uh participated in high school theater because uh i went to public school and nobody really 
told me that there were options when you wanted to be involved in the arts that weren't being an actor. So, so there was very much the, like the being on stage, but there was, I was really on stage because I wanted to help make all of the costumes for everyone. Um, or I was really on stage because I really liked, uh, set design. Um, so we're going to say that I took acting. Nerd. <laughs> yes. I was a theater nerd. <laughs> but a different kind of theater nerd because I don't feel like I'm like I'm extroverted enough to be a theater nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not extroverted, but let's talk on a podcast once a week to yeah. go all over the planet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know plenty of introverted theater nerds. The, yeah. All the texts on my side were very enthusiastically trying to pull me into the pull me away from the acting oh, and wow. into the the more introverted side of things. Like one of mm-hmm. us, one of us. So, <laughs> Um, so that's it. So now, um, fast forward, I was going to say 20 years, but no, five, five years. And, and see, the thing is Cheryl's being very polite. Cause I'm, I'm doing the math in my head now and realizing it's actually more than 20 years and no, <laughs> it's not, it's five, it's five years uh, that we've, that we've known each other, but fast forward. Um, and now aside from, you know, your day job where you, you know, do boring design work that pays bills and stuff, but you posted like a few weeks ago that you were going to be doing, you're directing your first show that you were directed, I guess? Or is it just the first one during COVID? It's the first show I've ever directed, actually. I I never actually intended to get into directing shows. I've always been pretty happy doing the acting side of things. But when we sort of cruised into this pandemic and shows started happening online, I've been doing Twitch streaming and performing in Twitch shows for, well, since 2016 and sort of found myself like suddenly this expert whose skills were needed. And in the process of helping my theater work through this stuff, ideas started popping in my head that I couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we're doing this now. <laughs> so what, I guess just to give people background so we can talk about your show in passing while we talk about improv in general, what is your show? My show is called Cupid on mute. And so it is a, it, it, this, the premise is that it's a competition show where eight quote unquote romantics who have had trouble finding love on the internet in the time of the pandemic have agreed to try to find romance in exclusively the group chats featured on the show. And, you know, there's some story around it, like uh, the the logo for the show kind of the, the whole idea was like uh, I thought about Cupid's arrow intersecting like the mute microphone. And it's like, oh, Cupid's probably terrible at Zoom, too. No wonder nobody can find love on the internet. Uh, so the whole premise is, well, Cupid can't figure the internet out. So we're going to do this game show instead to try to help these people find have find love. And so it's a four week uh, serial show. So each episode builds on the last one. And the interesting thing about it is it's not just so a lot of the improv we've been doing thus far at my uh, home theater, which is Unexpected Productions in Seattle, has been traditional in that we we're getting like a flow of suggestions from the audience through chat. And usually the suggestions are at the front of the scene and that's it. But we need to find a way to make theater sustainable online because there's like costs for, for like paying actors. Theoretically, actors have to eat and all the things. Uh, and when you stream on Twitch, you can't charge ticket fees. And so this is an experiment where um, I am trying to 
find a way to bring in something instead of ticket money. So we're using a platform called Tiltify, which is for streamers, and you can run nonprofit campaigns. Uh, you can get ask people to donate to your campaign and you get notifications in real time. So long story short, our audience can donate to impact the events on screen. So if they find they see two romantics that they want to send on a date, they can donate to the theater in lieu of a ticket fund, ticket purchase, and then uh, those two romantics go on a date. They see the, the narrative on screen change in real time based on their suggestions. If they see somebody interfering with romance they don't want to, they can mute that player. Uh, they can send <laughs> someone into a co- confessional booth, uh, or they, one of my favorites is if you really want to be a little spendy, you can send someone into a confessional booth where they that character believes they're in private, but then give all the rest of the cast members permission to listen in if you just want to spread the chaos. And so there's uh, that's the show is uh, it's an it, it's giving both the traditional way for the audience to interact, but then this new way for the audience to influence the events on screen in real time while supporting the theater uh, in the uh, in sort of in this framework of this romantic comedy game show situation. Mm-hmm. So I watched it. Um, I watched the first episode. Only one episode's aired so far. By the time this show is up, will be two will out, be out, but then they're saved. You can just like you can watch the reruns and I guess they end up on YouTube eventually. Um, but four weeks and you don't know where it's going to go because that's sort of the entire point, right? Like, you know, roughly what you want the storyline to be, but it's improv. So it's going to be four weeks. And then who knows who's going to end up where at the end of the show. Right. So uh, there's the game show structure, which is sort of set. We know that we're building towards an elimination show. Uh, So in week four, uh, between weeks three and week four, our audience is going to vote for like two finalist couples and the other two couples will be eliminated. And then in week four, in a parody of kind of like Bachelor, what those two finalist couples are going to do is that all this scenes are going to be them visiting their families and so uh like with you know calls and stuff and so uh the cast members who are eliminated are going to play the families okay so the actors are still going to be on the show they're just going to be playing different characters um my favorite donation incentive that week if you want to be spending is you can donate to have one or both of the characters exes show up at those meetings uh um, i'm really looking forward to seeing that play out if it happens and then at the end of that episode based on votes from the audience one of the couples will be deemed the winner but i have no idea how the couples are going to play out i have no idea if we're going to pair up by traditional gender stereotypes or if it's going to be just like a rainbow mafia party like i don't that mm-hmm. none of that is set um and and i love emergent behavior i love seeing the audience take it in unexpected directions so i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to to that if and if it breaks the structure of the show that's okay I will adapt like that's that's a good problem to have because it means the audience was so interactive and so involved in the show uh, that they they kept us on our toes. So so that's um, one of the things that I thought was interesting. So I was watching it. Um, it was when it was airing live. Um, and Stephanie, my wife, for listeners who've heard the show before, she walked in and she um, she saw me watching it. And, so, and she's like, what is this? And it's like, it's Cheryl's. Uh, so uh, Steph knows Cheryl. So um, <laughs> um, so it's Cheryl's show. It's like, oh, there she is. Because you because you're not on screen all the time you are a character on the show but you're not on as often as other people because you're you're the you're the host of the show so yeah so so uh, so um so stuff watched for a little bit with me and she's like is everyone on the show bi or pansexual or something and it's like because <laughs> we because we, we were watching the there was there was like a round robin 
um, one-on-one speed dating round. And there's no, you know, if she hadn't watched the entire show up until that point, so she's just walking in then. And then there's no obvious format to when who's on with who, because it's just one. It's just there's two people on and then somebody interrupts and then somebody else interrupts. And she's like, it's men and men and women and women and, and men and women. And, and there's a non-binary player. And she's like, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't think it matters. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that everyone's sexual orientation is is what do we need it to be at this moment <laughs> in order to make the storyline work? And it will, I imagine, just be mutable as the story goes on because um, yes and, which we should explain in a, in a moment, <laughs> but but I imagine that's how it's working. Yes. And it was, you know, and I, I could have gone either way when I was designing the show. I could have said like, you know, I th- it would have been easier in some ways to design the show in a way where it was just playing into gender stereotypes and it was just men pairing up with women. But one thing I've found, so I've been doing, uh, working as a performer on Twitch shows, RPG shows since 2016, RPG role-playing game shows uh, like Critical Role, which is a Dungeons and Dragons role playing show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've done several of those shows. And what I've noticed about the communities is that the communities on Twitch are often folks who are disenfranchised by normal mainstream communities. Uh, mm-hmm. That could be people who are disabled or deal with like social anxiety or like physically disabled and can't get to like more traditional places or they are uh, disenfranchised because they are part of the LGBTQ community. And so like when I think about like what kind of representation matters on Twitch. It's, it's, you know, gender going with traditional gender norms is not the kind of representation that matters on Twitch. Um, And I think we're past that anyway. And so I was, I really wanted to, to create an environment where we could tell flexible, like the stories that didn't rely on, on those, those sort of outdated norms that did require when I was seeking out the cast to be very open about the fact that like, this is a very LGBTQ friendly show. Um, Those themes are going to be surprising supported in the show. If you're not comfortable with that, uh, this may not be the show for you. So it was very intentional that the structure would support us going fluidly. Mm-hmm. But math wise, if you have a specific number of characters, mm-hmm. you're going to end up like if one pair of couples, one pair of people goes uh, same gender, then you're going to have another pair that is probably going to the same gender. Mm-hmm. And the coupling dynamic in week three is going to be really interesting because I have this love draft s- scheduled where people are going to get to vote and pick their soulmate in order based on basically popularity vote from the audience. And I have no idea how that's going to go. Is it going to work? Is it going to be a disaster? Are everybody, is everybody going to try to pick the same person in the cast? Is the whole episode going to be one big fight? I literally have no idea, but I'm very excited to find out. And not having seen it, there's also a The thing that interests me the most is, so I actually watch a lot of reality dating programming. Um, And (laughs) like, I loved uh, F boy Island. I love too hot to handle. And, and Mm -hmm. I think that the reason that I love to watch that uh, is the chaos factor of knowing that a lot of these people are making terrible decisions that won't outlast the show. Um, and so I'm wondering, how much do you think your audience is going to play into that chaos factor and try and sort of push people together that are terrible matches and are <laughs> going to make the exes show up? Because 
there is a sense of like in reality dating as much as the bachelor tries to like sell us this like weird uh monogamous en- engagement in a month um full of true, <laughs> true love like it's, it's just not it's not really why we're watching it we're watching it monogamous because ish. they cast some villain who's super annoying and trying to break everyone up and you know you want to see how many how many weeks they're going to stick around and quite frankly i never make it to hometown week because you've already gotten rid of the reason that I was tuning in by like week four. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a really good question. And I it's going to be interesting because like I, there's a core of of like my community that's followed me over to the show. And I think many of them are probably going to root for couples that uh, that may may be have a better chance of making it. But at the same time, I've definitely seen chaos monkey behavior in some of the other RPG shows I've played with um, when the I was on a show called Shadowrun Corporate Sins and it was uh, four, uh, five of us were playing uh, players in this dystopian cyberpunk universe and then we had our game master and we were using the Shadowrun game system and you could uh, players could buy dice to help either the players or the GM and the <laughs> GM got like more dice than the five of us combined and that unless there was like a really key story moment that like the one of the five of us throw and so when the gm gets dice she can basically murder us Mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm thinking that that will will bear itself out once we get into the show and i was really excited this is a little bit of a spoiler for episode one but at the end and i didn't know this was going to happen but we have a a a character in in our show uh who turned out to be kind of like a pop idol and that was a suggestion from the audience we didn't practice that she never (laughs) practiced being a singer in rehearsals or anything like that yeah. and she was and she's very clearly mortified when 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 they're like oh and sing for us and i'm like oh this should be good <laughs> that's an example uh that, that's an ex- uh, example of a cast member kind of putting themselves in peril and the audience taking you up on the offer she mentioned her favorite song from her oeuvre from from her catalog and uh chat was like oh i really want to hear that and i as like the broadcaster put in chat i'm like well you could donate and send her to the confessional and ask her to sing it and someone was like done and so they did uh, so she, she had to like make up the song that she had mentioned uh, and, but you know so they, they're pro, they're pro imp- improvisers and so they roll with it and they create that universe but so she's had this like really sweet character and she's had these emotional reveals and like we're, we're like five or ten minutes from the end of the episode and in what like her last speed dating appearance she gave an ultimatum to another character she's like stay away from my man from <laughs> and, and the, the Max is like that is a surprise on your song. She's like, my songs don't reflect me all the time. And I was like, okay. So I feel like when things like that start to come out, I, I feel like the audience is going to pick sides, and intent it, it is inevitably going to cause chaos. And I built some of the incentives to kind of inherently stow chaos. So you can buy one-on-one dates next week, but you can also buy uh, what I called like Cupid's triangle you can buy three person dates uh, yeah, i was curious about that is that what that, that that's what that was because i saw yeah. that one on the list and i'm like uh i don't know what that means so you can <laughs> intentionally like you could intentionally send those three into a private five per, like five minute scene and see what happens okay and uh that and that's just that's creating chaos people could do that 
Um, and there's, you know, on that note, it's it's been an interesting like directorial journey because there's like coaching the cast because you mentioned The Bachelor and you mentioned these shows. And like one of my big messages, the cast on the first week we did rehearsals was like, think about where these players are. And people ask about improv rehearsals all the time. Like, oh, you practiced improv. That means it's not improv. I'm like, no, no, no. OK, we don't know what stimuli are going to come from the audience, but we can like immerse ourselves in the genre of the world. Mm-hmm. We can practice our trust with each other. We can practice the format and like understand what it is to react to these stimuli from the audience. So there's like a lot we can practice without actually practice what's going to happen on the day. So I was coaching my players. I'm like, the mindset of these characters is that they went through months of interviews with producers. They chose to be on this show. Like they actively wanted it. And so at this point, they all actively believe that their life is going to fundamentally change based on being on this show. Some of them believe fame. Some of them believe love, but they all believe that this is like a seminal moment for them. And some of them have probably received coaching from producers to send them in a particular direction that may not be factual. And so it's just like, y'all just keep that in mind when you are like making character choices is that uh, this is a very high stakes world for the characters that you are playing um, and that you may not have a fully truthful view of the world as one of the romantics. So I'm really excited to see how people encourage the chaos. (laughs) So so I've gone to improv shows before. Um, I've, I've not watched one online before. Uh, well, I mean, but I've watched them on TV. So it's it's a little different in that it's not like it's a studio audience. But I guess from your perspective, it kind of like it is. I mean, does it feel different? Well, we don't get laughter. And that yeah. is a huge adjustment for any stage performer that's moving to the online medium. And luckily for me, like because I had done those role playing shows like Shadowrun Corporate Sins was a 65 episode show with three hour episodes each like that was a that was a tough journey on the road to uh, like it was it was a baptism by fire in learning uh, what life without reactions was like. Mm -hmm. You just had to hope that the things you were doing were interesting to the audience. Mm -hmm. So uh, like warning my cast members the first time they're coming into this situation, like you're not going to get applause. Like you're not going to know whether the things you're doing are are going over well. So you just have to commit to them. Although it's interesting in this show because the donation mechanic does sort of function a little bit like applause because you know sometimes sometimes the people are reacting well to what you said because you get a real-time donation right after like you say something evocative and then like a minute later somebody sends you to confessional booth that means that like the characters like that is resonating with people they want to hear more about your character but for the most part you're acting in a vacuum Mm -hmm. okay question for you so you talked about your Shadowrun show from before so that's would you call it the same or different because in a way role-playing games are inherently improv troops like that's just like forget like playing online if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons with friends of yours you are engaging in the act of playing improv that's that's just what that game is so when you you know you talked about having the previous the previous experience doing that did how much do you think that that transfers to something like this i mean in essentially in a, in a way you're essentially game master for anybody who's played played D as the host of of cupid on mute you are essentially the game master for an improv game for a role-playing game so does that 
feel like it's doing a similar thing? I definitely think like they are very similar. And I agree with your premise that uh, role playing games are improv. I, I've, I try to and I like I blogged about this when we were doing uh, when we were doing the, the show. Like, hey, like, here's improv tips for people who are going into RPG stuff because uh, like to amp up your games. I think the difference is and, and we it was almost they were longer shows so they were really intense in that way but we are doing shorter shows but we don't have the release of coming out of character and keeping mm-hmm. on mute so Shadowrun we we could be ourselves like you know we come in and out of character but in Cupid on mute the entire time we were in character like we're fully immersed in that world and so that's the one fundamental difference between the two universes and mm-hmm. the I guess the other one is like the dice uh, the blank page problem is can be really intimidating for especially well you know if you could it's kind of why we get suggestions like if you if someone just shoved you on stage and said be compelling mm-hmm. and just gave you no context at all that's a lot right mm-hmm. like that's you know the amount of time people spend working a wordsmithing an actual play uh, so all of the artifices of improv the suggestions all like the rules of the game those are all there to help us with the blank page problem mm-hmm. to guide us towards something that might be compelling for an audience and so with rpgs the dice help us with the blank page problem. They give us, you know, instead of just saying, I'm an orc, what's an interesting story? It's like, I'm an orc and I suck, apparently, because I've rolled three natural ones in a row. Mm -hmm. So that's the story is I'm terrible at my job. And, you know, but I didn't have to, like, figure out that that was what was the compelling story was is the dice gave me that and that's what I get to work with. Uh, we don't get that in Cupid on Mute, but what we get in, in exchange is we get to know what combinations of characters, like we get to kind of know where the audience wants to go next, mm-hmm. but we as improvisers have to have confidence that we're going to be able to operate within those structures, like react strongly, uh, navigate uh, un- re- the relationships and maintain them over four weeks uh, so it's a, it's a, it's in a, that in that way it's more challenging than the rpg situation all right so if you're doing that in improv in general and now we're in a world where we are suddenly you know so i know for the listeners i know that cheryl's been doing this literally like you've been doing it in seattle since you moved there and that was a couple of decades ago because when i when i went to visit you that was 15 20 years ago when i when i went to visit you and saw you at the at the theater doing one of these shows um and then now you're now you're doing it online because covid why i mean part of it is because you don't want to give it up right but like but why this way? Um, there are, you know, I, I guess in a world where you can't be, you can't be physical, but is it, is it just, is it just a different animal? We, we did a show a while back about, um, on, on, um, stand up comedians who were now doing online shows and it's a very different world. Do you really feel like this is still the same improv that you knew and loved for the last couple of decades? It's, it's related. You know, <laughs> I, I, it's a cousin of the improv that I, that I've done. It's, it's definitely related to the stuff I've been doing since 2016. Okay. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a really interesting question. Why online? Because my, my theater unexpected productions since March has been doing shows with live audiences in the theater. Okay. So you are, still we, back. you're back too. We made the conscious choice last year 
when we started going online that we wanted online to be a permanent channel for us that okay. we didn't want it to just be uh you know we're just going to be on zoom for this gap to keep our people thinking about our performance times but uh our th- our you know our former artistic director was is, is like globally well known in the improv community we have an international festival every june and so we we have fans around the world and around the country but you know we only have shows in one city mm-hmm. so going online allows us to potentially reach more of those people but what we have in the theater we we're really lucky in that one of our board members was apparently psychic and pressured uh, like i wouldn't say pressured strongly encouraged us to invest in a live streaming rig before the pandemic so <laughs> We have the capability. We have like a multi-cam live stream set up from the theater. Okay, so, so you could do the shows. We and we do, uh, and so like on Wednesdays and on like Fridays and Saturdays. Although I think we're going to scale back a little bit, and but we've been doing live broadcasts from the theater of uh, several of our stage shows. The thing okay. about that is we're on the Pacific Coast, so a show at eight, you know, seven, eight, nine p.m. is basically only going to appeal to people on the. the the, the left coast everyone else in the world is asleep and <laughs> so that's a thing and you know one thing we've also learned is it's fine that we have a really great camera system but we exist in a haunted theater with terrible audio conditions so that's been a real journey for us so having and then we also just love experimenting with new forms of storytelling and new forms of uh, theater and you know online does present a different way of interacting with audiences and the Twitch culture. Like, so we're streaming our shows on Twitch. There's actually a couple ways you can do online theater. You can do like a Zoom webinar where you charge for tickets and only give people the link if you purchase tickets. We did that for our Christmas Carol show last year and that did well. But for that, you really need a show with name recognition because people mm-hmm. have to know they want to buy the tickets. Uh, mm-hmm. It's and for like random improv shows, uh, it's that's that's a pretty hard sell for Twitch. You can't charge for tickets, but what you get is is potentially like walk ups, like random people who have never heard of your theater before will discover your stream and stumble in and be like, what's this? And sometimes mm-hmm. you discover new people. But the culture that Twitch expects is highly interactive and broad Podcasts from the theater are not highly interactive. Like they are yeah. optimized for the live audience in the theater, and it's always going to be that way because they paid to be there. So and, yeah, somebody's got to be watching, and it, yeah, it's very different. Yeah. So this way, like we still we're trying to find a balance where we we provide this service where we do pro- provide live stream some of our live shows from the theater, but we also do some stuff that's specialized for online that really speaks to the specific culture of Twitch interactivity and community interaction. And last year we were just starting to put our toe into the water and now uh, Cupid on Mute is the beginning of our second season and now we're really trying to get mm-hmm. deeper into that and see what that looks like. I wonder um, what it's like to design, I mean, so you, you you call yourself the director of it, but I mean, essentially you're a director, producer and writer, right? Like you, you came up with the concept. This was yes. your show. Um, you just said what you, what you were saying about the, the, you know, the difference between the space, like you optimize this show. This show is very much a web show. It is not, um, this would not, I mean, I, I guess you could do it in a live theater, but it would be really boring because everybody's sitting still, right? Like it, it is, it is, this, this is built around the concept of, um, 
here are nine people acting towards one personal camera, each in their own little boxes. The entire premise of the show is they are not physically seeing each other. You know, the characters are aware that they are. um, So as opposed to any other, not even just improv, any other theater um, production ever, you know, if I, you know, I am pretending that I am on a balcony. The fact that I am just on a scaffold. No, Juliet, this is a balcony, you know, like that, that is, that's how, that's how plays work, right? Like you, um, there is a suspension of disbelief that just goes into set design is what it is. Um, the costuming makeup is what it is, but there's a lot of imagination in the theater. And then mm-hmm. this is, this is much more, you know, the imagination is just sort of believing that these people are who they say they are. The concept is if I watch and I see Thomas or Max is sitting in their living room because they were, then that's where they are. It's just, I don't know what the actors names are. So it's not really Max's living room. It's whatever the Max's actors living room looks like. But it's still just Max sitting in a living room. Yes, it's and we've done improv digitally that does play with the imagination more where it is just sort of more open improv where people are playing multiple characters moving around in their space. And I think our season this year is going to play is going to move back and forth on that that spectrum where we'll have high concept shows that are really about the online experience. And then we may have shows that are more open improv where we require a little bit more of that suspension of disbelief. You know, there's another show that we're probably going to put up next, uh, which we probably have to change the title now, but um, I think it's going to be called Unexpected TV that uh, actually one of the cast members of my show uh, directs, the one who plays Thomas. Mm. And it's that one plays with the constructs of video. So it's not like it's always assuming that people are like telling you that people are looking at the webcam, but it's like playing with things like news broadcasts and things like that. And how can ends like uh, collages and things and how how can we and voiceover and how can we make those things interesting and compelling as a show um, Mm -hmm. and use, you know, use what video is good at. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think there's going to be other shows where where maybe we do things that are a little bit more open, um, try to figure out a show where maybe we could use puppets like there's a whole bunch of things. But I don't want to just like say this is a show we did on stage. Now we're going to do it on right because that that we tried for a year and it was really hard to make that compelling and so i think we might be able to work back to that once like cast members really get comfortable with it but in the end like that you just lose a little bit of the visceralness when people can't inhabit the same physical space so you have to find other time other forms of storytelling that work with that limitation instead of call attention to it well i think it's different and that's sort of what i liked about it right like um i'm just so i'm I'm thinking of um oh monica give me two real show okay so i'm thinking of uh, in real in real dating shows what's the the weirdo netflix one where they're in the pods and they never see each other love is blind okay so love is blind versus the bachelor right the bachelor the entire premise of the, of the bachelor is let's go well with the exception of the covid world show where which was weird but for the most part the bachelor is very much about let's go on this fantasy where we're traipsing around the world and we're you know we're gonna have a picnic on a volcano and that's what regular people do so now we're in love you know like <laughs> like that is a thing that the bachelor does and then love is blind is you are going to sit in a pod and not talk to the you know and not see the other person or it's not a dating show but the circle the circle is a similar reality show 
and it's you know it's a reality show and the premise the, the the circle is interesting in that they very much play with the fact that no one can see each other right it's it is it, that's what makes the show special um and i i feel like the way cupid is working you have um you ha- you, you are rather than trying to make the audience forget that they're doing this artificial thing of work of watching a stage show on you know on their computer they're just not watching a stage show they're watching a computer show on their computer and that you know even if you change it you know even if you if there were more imagination than than this one is requiring right like if you did require us to imagine a set that's still requiring us to imagine a set that is still within the ramifications of this is a show that was produced for Twitch, not a show that was produced for the stage. Right. That is the, that is the goal. And I did watch a lot of the circle and love is blind uh, and <laughs> sexy beasts while doing rehearsal for this show. Uh, we did a shout out to sexy beasts, a, a tiny one in the beginning of the first episode, but um, sexy beasts, the, um, the so new one, one where they they're have- all furries or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have not seen that one yet. I want to, is it, is it worth my time? I think you would get a out of it i do I, it's weird it's weird but you know weird in a in a in a can't look away sort of way i i don't know this is where i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a little bit of space monica if you don't mind because i want i kind of want to know i mean i've seen cheryl's show and i've seen a little bit of i've seen i've seen a bachelor here and there right and i've not seen sexy beast yet i watched the first season of love is blind i i have not uh, not love is blind of um of um of, of you're not allowed to fuck island um Shit. Um, what is it called? Too hot to handle. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I saw the first season of Too Hot to Handle. I saw both seasons of the circle. Um, I watched half of of this this show made for HBO Max that um last winter, which was um it, it's the 12 days of Christmas, but like or 12 dates of Christmas, but it's just like these three people, a gay guy, a, a, a straight girl and a gay and a straight guy. And then they they each have like half a dozen suitors. And it, it was weird. <laughs> so like I've, I've seen some dating shows and, you know, given the the improviness of what Cupid has to be, I'm wondering what 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 are the things that need to happen in order for this to be believable as a dating show, as opposed to just as a clever improv experience? Because I don't know. Like I mean, like you mentioned how much you loved Fuckboy Island. Is it actually called Fuckboy Island or is it just called F-Boy Island? The best part is... They're not allowed to say the word fuck. I don't get it. They're not allowed to say fuck even though it's on HBO Max which is just such a strange that like you're required to deliver F-Boy. I don't understand that. As if we don't already know that the F stands for fuck. (laughs) And and, and if you don't want to do... I mean, I don't don't care if you want to have a standards and practices that bans the F-word. But why name your show that? I don't understand. <laughs> but anyway, also, it's yeah, HBO. It's a yeah. subscription service. Right, that, right. For the most part, like people started watching HBO because they were like, oh, there's there's boobs and swear words on this. Like that's what's <laughs> expected. So do they do they have nudity on, on FBI Island? No, but they have nudity on, you know, Game of Thrones. It, it was right, sort right. of, you know, like the, the joke of, of HBO was like, it's because you can do that here. And right, to right. the point where, like, with, with Game of Thrones, where you're like, is this, 
is this necessary for there to be boobs in this scene or are there boobs because it is HBO? Yes. And I, and I get that, right? Like I, <laughs> I, I, I get, so you don't, so I don't, I don't know that, I don't know that Cheryl's show needs to have everybody get naked in order for it to be interesting. In fact, I'm sure Twitch would probably have a problem with it. That would but, definitely get us kicked off Twitch. <laughs> yes. But, but what do you need in order to make it a believable reality show? Like you said, you watch Cheryl, you said you watched um, several of the shows in order to sort of prepare can I break in? You know, can I get a moment alone with um with um I don't remember what's the singer woman's name. Uh, that's Maya. Maya. Can I get a moment alone? Yeah, and which was odd because she she was very definitely the star of the most recent episode, at least. Um, judging by where the fan donations were going, I would say that she was the character that was the most over with the audience. Um, so I thought it would be the woman with the blonde streaker hair who was um, evil, <laughs> for lack of a better way. I say she was the, like she was the one stirring up more, tr- more trouble. I thought she would be um but like anyway you know does somebody need to emerge as the villain you know um there's clearly you know you, you clearly have um the one guy who's um chez or chaz whichever his name actually is because he changed it in the middle and he's talking about oh i'm, I'm chaz but my friend's name is chez or whatever like you have secrets and stuff going on i get that but what needs to happen in order for it to be believable as the premise of this is a reality dating show honestly i feel like it needs to be messy like if it uh, and I, that that kind of hinges on episode three, like our, cru- our cruising to episode three, like multiple people have to like the same person. Like, it do, like there has to be some kind of fight. Um, it has to feel like the producers pushed people in a certain direction, at least like what at least on one thread. And that could be the Maya and Thomas thread. I, I don't know. Um, and again, like didn't coach that didn't see that coming. Like we had actually a dress rehearsal the week beforehand and the shape of the show was a lot different uh it, like max was actually kind of the center of attention so it you know it's 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 just interesting how these things shake out uh secrets a couple people carrying secrets forward and and making making sure and, and an improv i think it's also like making sure that the cast respects the boundaries of the secret because like as actors we all hear all those things like there is no soundproof booth like i'm not going in and muting everybody all the time. It's just like in D&D, like there's a difference between the player and the character. And you have to remember, like, yes, I heard that person talking about that, but my character doesn't know it. Same thing here. Like just because Chaz, you know, has mentioned like his his mogul stuff has the rest of the cast really come to terms with the fact that that's what he does in real time. Um, Those things like we have to keep that also is sort of required that separation to keep it believable. And the high stakes. That's the other thing. Like if we get too comfortable, like if we just sort of take these things as chill, like if somebody gets rejected and it's just like, okay, the, the more that happens, the less believable it gets. And that goes back to what I was telling my actors in my first rehearsal. Like this is really high stakes. Like reality television is always high stakes. These people went through, like I almost ended up on four weddings. Like I was offered a spot, uh, but, and I had been through these months of interviews to get there. But by the time they got around to offering me a spot like I already had my honeymoon planned and they were basically asking me to cancel my honeymoon to go to the other four weddings (laughs) for a chance at a honeymoon I'm like that's bad math like I just don't (laughs) think that's a good idea 
So that, but like I had been through all the interviews and the video interviews and talking to the producers and all the stuff. And so like, and I, and that was just for a one episode show, not for something where it would be a full series. So I can only mm-hmm. imagine what someone who's like in a live in show would go through. So it's like high stakes. The more mm-hmm. we can get to that, the better. Somebody has to portray someone. <laughs> probably. Probably. Mind you, said you watch a lot. What, what, are, what are the key things that have to happen in order for this to be a believable bachelor esque show? Oh, God. <laughs> Cause again, because I don't watch any of the ones that people like. I only watch, like, like um, uh, and again, I, I know, okay, fine, caught too hot to handle, but I, I, I prefer calling it, you know, no one's about to fuck. Um, which is what the premise of the show was. But like, I, do, I do enjoy that name. But like on that on that show, like literally the only thing that was interesting about it was that everyone is garbage. Like I liked nobody. Like everyone, everyone sucked here. And it's like it's like reading "Am I the Asshole" on Reddit, right? Like you know, it's like any real no, everyone sucks. Like this is a, this is a horrible thing. There are no good guys. So that's what made that show interesting to me. And you know, whenever somebody's like, "Oh, they're sweet," and you know. They're looking for a real love. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so I, I mean, is, isn't that funny that we're on dating shows where the, the stakes are so high to be like, like it's an engagement. It's a bunch of people who are there being like, if you're not here for marriage, you should leave. And yet at the same time, the rarity is the person who's actually there mm-hmm. for love. So I, I, I think that's maybe an element that has to be thrown in is that like, like we, we talk about the audience like wants love, but at the same time, not everyone who's participating as yeah, an actor, they- as a player. Mm-hmm. wants love some people are legit going in because they want the followers like they, they like they just go, they I, some people are going to go in and they're not going to believe that they're going to find that true love they're going in because they want you know uh, they're going in for the lols and uh and the exposure and it's and but i think it's interesting too because there have been so many of these shows now to your point about uh, <laughs> uh not allowed to fuck that wait there's it, you can almost point to any romantic show as as a different sort of pattern like they I would have said a few years ago that like oh there's got to be someone sympathetic on the show but too hot to handle really didn't have anyone sympathetic mm-hmm. I mean I think the most sympathetic character was the Alexa knockoff <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, I, I think I need to write a whole medium post on that but that's a whole side that's a whole side note uh, they you know I would have said that you know at least one couple that makes it but I you know that I think that there are shows where they just all turn out to be train wrecks. So there's like so few remaining like actual tropes that survive all these shows. <laughs> you know, as, as a the costumer, it's it's the evening gown. It is the fact that people seem to get dressed and go through more clothing changes than real life will ever have. Even on Can't Fuck Island, they still change swimsuits like six times a day. They were in the room all the time, like changing makeup all the time. Like that, the changing room was all the video. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I get it. It's like when you're not allowed to have a cell phone, you just you just put on new outfits. <laughs> Something that I would do. Very Hello. relatable as a costumer. But but I would say if, if we're talking tropes, uh, the fact that no one rewears anything 
And everyone is wearing either the smallest swimsuit or the sequiniest evening gown I've ever seen. <laughs> it's got to be in there. Or, the, you know, for the men, the tightest pants I've ever seen. Everyone seems like they went to their tailor and they were like, could you purposefully make it one size smaller so that I look like I might Hulk, Hulk rip myself out at any moment? <laughs> I like the point. So I don't think we're going to have the outfit switching all the time, but I, I think uh, that I, 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 you've inspired me to go back to my cast and say like, hey, uh, it's a formal episode, final episode. So <laughs> pull out whatever you got in your closet. But I think I this is a bit of a side note, but I only just recently watched that first season of Too Hot to Handle. And I had this whole like there's a whole story about the life of the swimsuits on that show because they all wore the swimsuits like the ladies like they were swapping swimsuits and like they even mentioned it one or two times like two of them fought and then one came out and the other one's like that's my swimsuit and it was like she had been wearing it in a previous episode but like and then if you and then if you go back and you look like they're all wearing each other's swimsuits the whole season and I'm like I there is so much to unpack here there's a whole shadow industry around the women's swimsuits. What is the story? What are the rules of the swapping? How are they sanitizing them? Why are they doing this? So many questions. Did the like, men do it, it too? I didn't notice. I didn't notice the men. Like, the women's are just so much more distinct. Like, they, yeah. like some of them have ruffles and some of them are tiny little scraps of silver fabric. And I just... Like, are the producers making them do it? Did the girls come up with this system because they had nothing else to do? I have so many questions about the swimsuits on that show. Uh, we might have to do a whole episode on dating shows. I don't watch enough. Of, I know um, Hannah watches a couple. I know her sister, who's been a guest on the show, watches several of them. But but I don't know. I don't know enough about them. I, I, I like the bad ones, like I said. Um, I have a fun fact. And that is that my my uncle, the uh, like pseudo black sheep of the family, was on a dating show in the 80s. And because we are a very Italian family, he wore a pair of leather pants and a silk shirt unbuttoned and a gold chain which is the most Italian and also the most 80s thing I could possibly describe to you. Uh, you know, I don't know the name, but it was one of those think. like curtain number one, curtain number two, yeah. curtain number three. And uh, dating game style. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to say that he uh, did not win the date to <laughs> Disneyland. <laughs> oh, I just... God, I wonder why. And, <laughs> and I have to think, you know, we know it wasn't the leather pants because she couldn't see them because he was behind the curtain. <laughs> I know. I know. On on Camp Fuck Island, there's a um, there's one there's a, there's a point where one of the girls gets bored and just decides that she's going to be evil. Not that every, not that anybody else was nice or wonderful or anything like that. They're, you know, like like everyone is a train wreck anyway. But there's a point where, uh, at least on that first season, where where one woman literally just decides, I hate everyone. I'm just yep. going to wreck shit. And uh, and so like I wonder if that is like to me because I'm a horrible person that's what I'm looking for in my reality show right like I like I that's the interesting bit to me but I don't know I don't know if that's what everybody wants and I don't know I mean you know it's, it's I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether my cast pulls that out cuz I've seen that in rehearsals I've seen that they are capable of it uh-huh. um, so I, yeah I'm going to be real care- I'm real interesting to see if the the duplicitous this comes out because I, I was I was a little shocked in one of the two the rehearsals was like oh my god you are so manipulative 
Yeah, wow. great. And it's, and it's and I wow. don't know, like that's what, but like that's what the producers clearly look for, right? Like, I'm, right. like I don't even watch The Bachelor, but I know every season I hear that you know, you know, Francesca's the villain. Like, no, she was actually that. That's actually Campbell Island. Um, I don't remember, but there's always a villain character, right? And you know who the who the villain is, and The Bachelorette, same thing, and all those other shows where where this person is only around because you want to see them, you know, ruin as many things as you want. And and I guess part of, you know, the fans are supposed to watch this and say, why don't you just get rid of her so that you can find true love with the other one? You know, you're supposed to go like that. Mm-hmm. But like, but like, that's not that's not interesting television, right? Like, like, I mean, your show, your show's not reality television. You can debate all you want about the re- about real reality television as to whether it's real or not. Your show is improv. These are characters. These are explicitly characters, right? And right. if I wanted to be, if I, if I wanted to be really nice, I could like listen to the, you know, you've got you've got a voiceover artist you've got a jewel thief you've got um a cattle farmer like you could yeah. like I could, I could literally listen to the to the characters and then like watch the first episode decide who's nice together and then just be like i would like them to win because that would be pleasant and then episodes two three and four would be really fucking boring <laughs> you know but like because that wouldn't be you know what makes the show interesting is that i mean yes i, I know auspiciously they're looking for love but like the show needs them to not find it at least not for the first three episodes in order to have a show and you have a really important point well and and so the way i designed the show and i went through this on shadow run as well where like the way uh some of our audience members were trying to influence the show removed our agency as actors Mm -hmm. and that was like starting to cause us to like try to act they were trying to get us to act in ways we did not believe our characters would act and so when i designed the incentives on the tiltify campaign i made sure like the the audience can place the characters in situations but they cannot control the way the character feels or responds Mm -hmm. so um that means that my actors retain their agency to see the shape of the show and throw in chaos but like bombs if they need it you know like if this is boring throw in a twist like if i'm placed in a room with someone my character doesn't like that doesn't mean i have to like them it just means i'm in a room with them for five minutes i can make it worse i you know this can turn into a giant fight like just because the audience is trying to goad us doesn't mean that suddenly we have to be in love and so that that has been a very intentional like making sure that the the cast has the freedom to do what we feel like is right for the shape of the larger show which is a lot of like when you talk about improv training and going like working up through the levels is working on that narrative structure is working on longer form storytelling is being able to see like what you need to sustain longer form like storytelling of this course of like a whole show or a whole like four weeks it is that you know drawing out the tension it is getting you know placing little seeds that you come back to later it's all that stuff mm-hmm. and, and and again i've you know i've only i've very much watched as a file a while i didn't i didn't actually donate I, I you know sorry to say i watched and i was like oh that's interesting i do have um i do have questions where i'm wondering where the show is going to go um i do i do want to see more chaos and dissension but again i can't really cause that um I do want to, you know, kudos to whoever uh, in the audience chose the, uh, I guess we should say, the, the characters' jobs were all chosen by the audience. So kudos to whichever audience member was just like, fuck it, he's a jewel thief. You know? 
that was um uh, yeah, it was a twist i was like yes. oh, that, that's interesting and and, and um and i don't know the actor's name the character's name is um, um richards is yeah. the jewel thief yeah although yeah. he prefers uh yeah. a gem reallocation yeah, specialist, yeah. specialist yeah, yeah. which i thought was it sounds like a really good way to get a good engagement ring out of the students. <laughs> great point. Right. So, so, so when you do stuff like that, I mean, I, I, I am looking for more twists like that. I thought it was interesting because I did think that they adjusted to it well. Like that was one of the biggest twists for me. Um, that and um, and when Maya realized that she had to suddenly sing because because she she clearly is like, "What's your favorite song?" and it was like. Uh, love is daffodils or something. I don't even remember what it was called. But it was it was just something ridiculously off the top of. I don't even think she said. It. I think one of the other characters said it. Like my favorite song of yours is some song about daffodils. She's like, that's go my go favorite. Daffodil. Go go daffodils. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite too. And then I'm like watching the chat, and people are like, oh, she needs to sing it. And I'm like, oh, that's gonna be fun. <laughs> can they see the chat or just uh, you? They in this show they cannot. Uh, like, okay. well, anybody can open up the Twitch window, but the way I've told them is like just. Just focus on the show. I'm going to pass on the stuff that matters to you. Okay, so they don't see it. So it's just yeah. you. Okay. Yes. All right. Because because that was interesting. Just watching watching them sort of you know react to that, and I'm looking forward to more of that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, and I just I'm a horrible person. I don't want anybody to be happy. <laughs> I want them all to suffer. Well, you know, and that's what the beauty of the show and the incentive structure is there are ways for people to cause that, you know, send two people who like each other on a date and then mute one of them and just, just leave them to that. There's there's ways oh to God. cause pain. Oh, you, you could do that. Oh, that didn't even occur to me. You can mute somebody after you just, oh, wow, that'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> So, right, Mike, I, I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly support either audience approach, whether they <laughs> want to create chaos. I really, I really hope someone does take up the confessional chaos one because that we, we pr- played it once or twice in rehearsal where the one where you can send someone to the chaos, confessional booth and then mm-hmm. let the rest of the cast listen in because they usually dish stuff that's secret and then suddenly the whole cast knows and then it's just it's, it, you know, all hell breaks loose after that. It's, do, the, do the characters, so the characters know that they're on a show and they know that the, they know that a theoretical audience is screwing with them, right? Like that's, that's like, I mean, yes. it's a relevant okay. uh, well, they know that uh, there's a they, so in the the mythos of the show, they've agreed to do this stuff with the group chat. They know that it's live. Uh, they know that there's an audience that supports them, and they know that the audience has some control over their situation. Right. Um, but like you know, brother. right? Yes, exactly. Okay, and then and then they know they can't interact directly. Okay, got it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, see, it's it, to to me that's the fascinating bit is just watching them sort of adapt in real time. You know, in such a way is that it implies that the characters are adapting in real time too. Right. And most of the time they are because we genuinely don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, wow, okay, that's they, they want you to sing now. So that's that's new. Good times. <laughs> we resolve nothing. <laughs> or do you mean like we resolve nothing? Oh, very good, very good. Singing in English, <laughs> which is. Yeah, but stupid, stupid. 
I just want to let people know. So this is a, this is the, the the thing that I am most proud of Cheryl for in her entire career of for half a dozen different places. Um, Cheryl, my former intern, my 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 honorary little sister here is a sim voice or the sim voice. <laughs> hey, hey, there's a many, sim. and I, a, a, I only a had voice. one character in a DS game. Although apparently I was That's less cool. <laughs> it is less cool, but I was a goth character, and and they, it did my character did uh, have have a lot of crushes. There's yes. there's like a lot of fan art on Instagram about about yes. uh, Ava. Yeah, so yeah, that's cool. But it's even cooler that you are literally a, a voice. I don't know why. Because it's just so random, but you, but she is a voice of because you worked on the game when it was when it was coming out originally. So you're one of the gibberish voices on Sims. I, mean, <laughs> I did also write a ton of the text in Sims too. But way less cool. <laughs> <laughs> way less cool. You're the voice. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Beyond beyond that, if people want to find out more about you and your your very storied career as a designer, and also you know if they want to watch this show that we've been talking about for the last hour, where would they go to find all of your stuff? Uh, well, to background about me, you can go to CherylPlatz.com. Background about the show, you can head to UnexpectedProductions.org and uh, look for the Cupid. Go to the shows page and look for Cupid on mute, or you can follow me at Funny Godmother on Twitch, where I I tweet shamelessly about this show and everything else I do online. <laughs> Absolutely. And Monica Marvelous, where people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram or on Twitter uh, <laughs> on at Monica Marvelous. On Instagram, that's going to be L-O-U-S and on Twitter, that's going to be L-O-U-X. I love and you got them right this time. <laughs> you did get them right this time. That's how you're like, oh wait, which one is where's my, which, how, how do I spell my name? <laughs> Too many platforms with T in front. I'm like, did I say Twitter or did I say TikTok or did I say Twitch? I mean, they're all the same name, you're but which one did I say? I don't know. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where you can find out what we're talking about next week. And you can leave us comments. You can leave us comments on this show or any other show. You can leave us suggestions. You can pitch yourself with a guest. All kinds of fun stuff like that. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star rating and review the show on Apple Podcasts, that really helps us out, gives us, you know, tweaks the algorithms, makes us more popular, makes us more famous, means that we can direct the Cheryl show. Everybody wins. It's awesome. And it also just gives me a reason to live because I'm a sad little man need your love. Um, I'd like to thank Maximilian of Thought Form Music for our epic theme song filling ever so more epically and playing this out. i once again like to thank Cheryl for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye!